Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. You're tuning in for our series EQ, where we're learning how to develop emotional intelligence so that we can have thriving relationships. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. Relationships can be tricky. It can feel like you're always trying to guess what the other person is thinking. This causes disconnection, creates confusion, and as a result, we tell ourselves all sorts of stories that end up bringing tension or friction to our relationships. Instead, let's learn how to remain calm and connected to each other. No matter what situation we find ourselves in, we can develop both the heart and the head skills we need to have relationships full of love, life, and meaningful connections. I remember coming out of the bathroom and running right into a man I knew, but I didn't particularly like. I could smell the alcohol in his breath, and I noticed his eyes were glassy. I looked around to see if anyone else was near us, but no one was coming because all of my coworkers at the time, lawyers working in my old law firm in Puerto Rico, were too busy eating and dancing to pay me any attention or come to my help. You know, I thought about walking around him, but he was a pretty large man and I couldn't pass by him without the two of us touching and I didn't want to do that. So I started looking for a new exit strategy. I was 27 years old, and I was at a party for clients that my law firm in Puerto Rico used to host once a year. And I was dealing with someone who was pretty heavily intoxicated. Truth be told, I hadn't wanted to go to the party, but the law firm that I worked for required me to attend dinners and events for clients as part of what we called client relations, which you know as whining and dining. So there I was in the middle of the work week, at about 9 p.m. in one of the best and most expensive restaurants in Puerto Rico. And my usual strategy to avoid being alone with this client when he got drunk failed. I can't remember what he said to me, but I'll never forget what he did. Because in what felt like hours, but probably must have been seconds, he made a grab at me. And it wasn't by my wrist, if you know what I mean. You know, I look back on that incident now 15 years later, and I know without a single doubt that if someone tried to do that to me again, I would punch them, or at least whatever's left of their face after my husband gets done with them, because you mess with me, you mess with him. And neither one of us would hesitate or feel bad about it. But at the time, I was so young. This was my first professional job, and all I remember was going home to my husband, feeling upset and feeling embarrassed. Shame and anger were my twin companions that night as I told Jose what he did and how it made me feel. And after staying up half the night, I headed to the office the next day and I had two choices, to tell or not to tell. Of course, I know the answer is always tell. But back then, as a young 27-year-old in a male-dominated profession, I didn't know where to go to the managing partner of our firm and tell him what had happened or Maybe avoid saying anything and just kind of brush it off because I didn't want to rock the boat. All I knew 
was that being on a partnership track meant I didn't want anything to affect my overall reputation at the firm, and I wasn't sure how people would respond if I said anything. By the way, you should know that I have since completely recovered from that incident. The Lord has been so kind to me. He's allowed me to spend the last decade working with some of the godliest men of integrity that I know here at Liquid, which I thank God for. I also just want to take a moment and say, if you have experienced something like that, my heart as a pastor breaks for you. I know that this is an experience that many women have faced in the workplace. And please understand, my intent isn't to trigger anyone by talking about this, but actually saying, I'm sorry that you've had to go through something like that. It is a sin. And I'm praying God will heal whatever wounds that may have caused you. I also promise I'm going to tell you how that story ended, but for now, I'm going to ask you to just put a pin in it, keep the story in your back pocket. I promise we're going to get back to it again. For now, I can say my only regret is that I wish I would have known then what I'm about to teach you today, because it would have given me the tools that I needed to know how to handle this situation. But first, I want to welcome you to the last week of our series, EQ, Emotionally Intelligent Relationships. We've been defining EQ as emotional intelligence, distinguishing EQ from IQ, right? Like you've heard us say that if IQ is book smarts, EQ is people smarts. And today I'm excited because I get to teach you a brand new skill that's going to help you identify why something is bothering you or why you feel angry and hurt when a boundary or a value that's important to you gets violated. And it's called Climbing the Ladder of Integrity, which is the title of my message today. Now, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kyra. I serve as the pastor of campuses here at Liquid, and I am excited to close out our series. I hope that you have been enjoying it as much as I have. So let me start with a very personal question. Who do you currently have conflict with? Now, hopefully not many of you have had to experience something like what happened to me, but I do know that every day we have tension, there's conflict in all of our relationships. So maybe there's a feud with somebody in your family, or maybe you have some tension with a friend, or someone at work is rubbing you the wrong way. Well, as we open God's word, I want you to bring to mind one single face, someone with whom things are feeling a little off. You know there's friction, there's some conflict, there's a gap in the relationship, Maybe you had a falling out with your dad or your mom. Maybe it was with one of your siblings. Maybe it's with someone at school. Maybe you're a parent and you've got conflict with one of your kids. Or maybe there's conflict in your marriage. Tension with your ex. You don't know how to navigate it. If that's you, I am so glad that you're here. Because I want to invite you to open up your Bible app to Galatians 2. I'm going to read this passage to you using the message translation because what we're about to read is a difficult moment when the apostle Paul was forced to confront Peter, one of Jesus's disciples for hypocritical behavior. Now, this is the apostle Paul speaking, and he says, later, when Peter came to Antioch, I had a face-to-face -face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line. Here's the situation. Earlier, Peter regularly ate with non-Jews. Now, if you've been coming to church for a little bit, you guys know that the disciple Peter was a practicing Jew, which meant all of his life he'd been kosher. I think secretly, though, Peter wanted to sink his teeth into some baby back ribs smothered in barbecue sauce, but he knew that he couldn't do it because the rules of his, relation, of his religion wouldn't let him. 
But at this point, Peter already understood that when Jesus came, he came to bring the gospel, the good news to all the nations, not just the Jewish people. And God had given Peter a vision to go to the house of a Roman citizen named Cornelius to eat with the Gentiles, who are the non-Jewish people, eight. So I kind of imagine Peter arriving at Cornelius's house for the first time in his Jewish life. Peter tastes some fine Gentile food. Mm -mm -mm. Like I imagine him saying, man, pass me some ribs. I'm going to tear that baby up. The greasier, the better. And Peter was like, mm, mm, mm. finger licking good. He's enjoying his newfound freedom in Christ. So imagine Peter's enjoying like an Italian buffet with his Italian friends. And instead of eating kosher, he's like scarfing down some salami. He's got a little pepperoni. He's eating some sausage. He's ordering wings with hot sauce. He's going crazy. There's just one little problem. Some of his old Jewish friends from back in the hood suddenly show up and they get upset because they see their fearless Jewish leader fraternizing with the non-Jews. But when the conservative group came from Jerusalem, he cautiously pulled back and, as and put as much distance as he could manage between himself and his non-Jewish friends. That's how fearful he was of the conservative Jewish clique that's been pushing the old system of circumcision. In other words, Peter runs into his Jewish friends and all of a sudden, he wavers. He's, he's a little flustered by, by his old crowd of friends. And he feels the desire, maybe I should pull back, like back to my own world, back to my own food, my own music, my own culture. And he starts pulling back from all of his newfound friends that were non-Jewish. In fact, Galatians continues to say, when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid. Can I ask, anybody here struggles with people-pleasing? Maybe you're afraid of hurting other people's feelings. Maybe you're raising your hand because you don't want to hurt my feelings, stepping on their toes. That's essentially what's happening to Peter. He gives in to the peer pressure of his friends. And what's worse is that verse 13 actually says the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And Paul says, Peter, you're a hypocrite. You're two-faced. You're acting one way around the Jews, and then you act another way around the Gentiles, and your hypocrisy is actually causing other people to trip up too, even Barnabas, like good old Barney. I mean, Barney was a friend of Paul and Peter. He'd grown up with the Gentiles, but Peter's hypocrisy was so bad, it caused Barney to act hypocritically too. So understand, as a church leader in the first century, Peter failed the test of leadership. Because instead of remaining calm, and collected to himself, Peter allowed his reaction and his behaviors to come from other people's opinion of him. In other words, he lacked differentiation. Anybody ever heard of differentiation before? Differentiation is the ability to remain connected to people, but at the same time, not allow your reactions or your behaviors to be triggered by them. In other words, even when someone disagrees with you, you stand your ground. You hold fast to your convictions, but you don't have to cut off the relationship because you realize different people may hold different views and opinions, and that's okay. You're mature. You're emotionally intelligent. You're differentiated. And the key quality of differentiation is that even when you're under pressure from other people, whether they approve of you or not, 
You're going to remain calm. You're going to hold confidently to who you are in Christ and who you're not in Christ without getting triggered. Think about it this way. We can walk hand in hand, even if we don't see eye to eye. Now, I shared before that uh, my 93-year-old father-in-law has been declining. He's 93 years old. When I first met him, he was a strapping man of 5'10", and he weighed about 145, uh, 185 pounds, and he's since shrunk down to about 140 pounds. And Jose, who's my husband, and his three other siblings, they've been caring for him for the past couple of years. And so last fall, they wanted our family to be together in one place, all four siblings in Puerto Rico with their parents. His two sisters live in PR, but his older brother lives in Georgia, and we live here in New Jersey. So they started making plans to meet up in Puerto Rico in October, and the problem was our family already had plans to go to PR, but we were going to go in December. And we really didn't feel like we could make another trip in such a short time. But one of his siblings just kept insisting we travel, and Jose felt all this pressure. I mean, it was like text during the day, Zoom calls at night, emails, just to make sure we would agree to go down there in October. And I don't blame them in the sense that it was out of a good intention. They just wanted our family to be together. That's a good thing. So Jose and I went back and forth, back and forth for like a month. Should we go? We don't really want to go. We're on a budget, but we feel bad. Your dad's not getting better. He's not getting younger, but we're going in December. Is that bad? Like, should we just wait two more months? Back and forth, back and forth, we went for a month. In the end, my husband was courageous enough to recognize our season of life in New Jersey at the time wouldn't have been able to sustain the travel any travel in that month. Our daughter Gabby had just started high school. She was in the marching band. Her schedule was nuts. The fall runway at Liquid was just gearing up. We didn't want to split our family because we both needed to be together to help our family thrive in that season. So my husband, who left his family of origin 25 years ago and has since become a separate adult, one that's free of other people's expectations of him, said, you know what? No. Our family is going to go to Puerto Rico in December. So we're not going to join you in October, and you guys are just going to have to meet up without us, and we'll see you in two months. I know without a doubt it was the right decision to make, but it wasn't easy. Anybody here have aging parents or older siblings who love to tell you what to do? Can you see why saying no to a mother who's seeing her husband decline every day saying no to a sibling who just wants to honor their parents, why that was hard, which is why so many of us feel guilty when we say no, especially to our families of origins. I mean, we're just like Peter. We want to be liked and we don't want to disappoint people. But here's the thing. When we say yes, when in reality what we want to say is no, we're living up to other people's expectations of us instead of our own, which is why saying no and yes are loving words. Understand, when I say no, it's not against you, it is for me. Think about it this way. Saying no may make you sad, but it doesn't make me bad. Isn't that so good? Let me say it again. Saying no may make you sad, but it doesn't make me bad. Because when we say yes to people, 
When what we really want is to say no, you know what happens? We live outside of our integrity and we end up hurting ourselves and the other person in the process, which is why Jesus is such a model to us when it comes to saying no. I mean, think of all the ways that Jesus said no, all the ways that he disappointed people. When the Jewish people, they wanted to make him king, Jesus said no to them. When his disciple Peter, Peter again getting in trouble, wanted Jesus to avoid the cross, Jesus said no to him. When the religious leaders wanted Jesus to stop saying that he was the Messiah, Jesus said no. When his family of origin, his mother and his brothers wanted him to return home with them, you know what Jesus said? He said no to his mama. Jesus said no while holding on to his beliefs and never holding people's disappointment against them. He loved and served people all while maintaining a non-anxious presence in the midst of enormous pressure and stress. Guys, that is what differentiation is all about. And it is vital for emotionally healthy relationships. Remember, differentiation is when you have a clear sense of your worth, your identity, who you are in Christ apart from the opinion and approval of other people. You're able to define your own life's goals, your own values, apart from the pressures of those around you. And the key quality is, I can be okay with you, even if you are not okay with me. I may not agree with you, you may not agree with me, but I can remain in relationship with you. I don't have to detach from you. I don't have to reject you, avoid you, criticize you to validate myself. I can be myself apart from you because my core identity is in what God thinks of me, not what you think of me. And if Christ is for me, who can be against me? That, my friends, is true freedom. And that's exactly what Peter was lacking in our story today. He gets triggered by his friend's opinions of him. And he lets that opinion guide his behavior, which is the actual opposite of being a differentiated person. And that's why he and his crew, man, they wanted to cut tail and run. And he would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for one thing. The Apostle Paul shows up for some baby back ribs too. In Galatians 2, Paul says, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly out of line. You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? In other words, Paul is saying, dude, you were just eating baby back ribs with non-Jews. You're like eating with them. You're laughing together. You're listening to Rihanna together. And now you want to pretend that they're not your friends. That ain't right. You know better than that. So Paul, he had a face-to-face -face confrontation with Peter because the Bible says he was clearly out of line. In other words, Peter was clearly in the wrong. And what's worse, Paul was pointing out to Peter, you're racist towards the Jews which makes this a spiritual and a moral issue that Paul needed to speak up against. Now, before you go judging Peter too harshly, I want to point out that many Christians are plain awful at resolving conflict. Sorry if that sounds harsh, but it's true in my experience. And I think we're bad at resolving conflict for two reasons. First, we have a wrong idea about what peacemaking actually is. People hear Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And so we think, well, Jesus is calling us to be people pleasers. We want to ensure nobody gets upset. There's, there's false peace. For example, let's say, let's say you're married and your spouse is constantly coming home late after work. They're missing dinner with the kids. You think you're being Christ-like by not saying anything, even though you give them the silent snit when they come home. 
Or let's say you go to dinner with 10 other people, right? You're, you know, young adult, you're financially strapped, you're trying to be responsible, so you just order a salad, you order an appetizer. Meanwhile, the 10 other people that you're having dinner with, they go nuts. They order appetizers. They're like Peter ordering hot wings and sauce and steak and wine and desserts. And when the bill comes, somebody says, I've got a great idea. Why don't we just split the bill? And everybody agrees except for you because you don't say anything even though you're dying on the inside. Guys, here's the problem with that line of thinking. True peace never comes by pretending that what's wrong is right. In other words, you can't have true or real peace with lies and by playing pretend. It's the opposite. True peacemakers actually love God and they love themselves enough to disrupt this false peace, to expose it to the light and replace it with the truth. Now, the second reason why I think we stink at solving conflict is because we just don't know how to do it. Many of us, man, we grew up in families where conflict wasn't resolved. Maybe you grew up in a home where you were taught, don't get anybody upset. Maybe you heard this growing up, just be nice. Or maybe it was this, don't rock the boat. Some of you I know grew up in homes where feelings of anger were actually ignored. You were taught to just pretend that difficult issues were not there. Just make sure things remained stable, even if they weren't healthy. But can I just tell you, that is the opposite of having emotionally healthy relationships in the family of Jesus. Because if there's one thing that has always been central to the mission of Jesus is conflict. I mean, think, just, just think about all the ways that Jesus brought disruption in order to bring true peace. He never shied away from conflict. He never appeased people. And he certainly didn't ignore tensions or differences. He was never afraid to call people out with the truth. And he did it all without becoming reactionary or defensive. And that's what Paul does for Peter here. He doesn't shy away from actually pointing out that what Peter was doing was wrong. He doesn't keep silent and pretends everything is kosher between the two of them, baby back ribs notwithstanding. He doesn't become sarcastic or, you know, avoids Peter or says some passive aggressive thing. He doesn't resort to name calling or sarcasm. Paul doesn't troll Peter online or any of the toxic behaviors really that we do because we just don't know how to fight fair. In fact, I want to pause for a minute because I want to have an honest assessment, an honest moment, all right? I want you to take a look at this graphic because here you're going to see the most common dirty fighting tactics that we use when we don't know how to deal with conflict. How many would you say that you engage in? In full transparency, when I lose my ability to differentiate and I experience conflict, these are my go-tos. I give people the silent treatment or I resort to avoiding the topic, which is just false peacekeeping. Paul is a model on how to avoid these dirty tactics. And instead, he shows us how to fight cleanly. Because look at what he does. Look at what he does. The Bible says, last uh, Peter came to Antioch. And I had a face-to-face -face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line. In other words, Paul goes straight to the source. He has a conversation with Peter man-to-man. -man. Paul knows every man, woman, and child is made in the image of God. He knows racism is a sin, and he wouldn't be living into his value of faith if he didn't speak up against Peter's behavior. Do you ever wonder, how in the world did Paul become so emotionally healthy that he was able to do this? I mean, obviously, his relationship with Jesus helped tremendously, but nowadays, 
We also have additional tools that we can use to address conflict with EQ. And that's what I want to teach you today with a tool that's called the Ladder of Integrity. Now, the Ladder of Integrity is a tool developed by Pete and Jerry Scazzaro in their course, Emotionally Healthy Relationships. And it's a tool that you use when something is bothering you and you just can't quite get a handle on what it is. Or when something you're, it's something that you're frustrated with, you're angry, you're hurt, and it helps you identify that something you value has been violated. And here's the goal, all right, when we use the ladder of integrity. The goal is to clarify your values by processing your thoughts and your feelings. And when I talk about values, what I'm talking about is a way of being, a way of believing, a way of behaving that we hold most important. For example, Let's say you're out to dinner with your spouse, and they're often texting when they're out with you. It's upsetting to you. Climbing the ladder of integrity can help you determine your value of connection and why their texting behavior is interrupting the connection that you crave. Or let's say that a coworker of yours is always bad-mouthing another coworker, and you don't really feel good about it. You climb the ladder of integrity and you identify your value and the fact that you're violating, they're violating trust every time they speak poorly of other people. Or hey, let's say that you have a son, a, an adult son, or you have a friend that you call every week, but they never call you back at all. So the relationship, it starts feeling a little lopsided to you. The ladder of integrity can help you identify your value of respect. You want the people that you're in relationship with to treat you with the same respect that you treat them. So think about it this way. Climbing the ladder of integrity is going to help you get super rigorously honest about what's going on inside of you so that you can identify your values. And once you identify what something matters to you, you're going to be able to express what you're feeling about it without having to resort to any of those dirty fighting tactics that we showed you earlier. Make sense? All right. Well, I'm going to model to you how this works, but first, I want to make a couple of disclaimers. First, the ladder of integrity is not a conflict resolution tool. All right, you don't use this with other people. It's meant to be used on your own to process with God so that you can identify your values. It helps bring clarity on that thing that you value that is being threatened in whatever conflict you're having. Number two, the ladder of integrity is not meant to be shared with anyone. It's for you and you alone and to, for you to process your thoughts and feelings with God and then ask Him if it's even appropriate to share those thoughts with other people. Sometimes going up the ladder and not sharing it with anyone will be enough. And then finally, the ladder of integrity will require taking the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of someone else's. Pastor Tim talked about that last week. The ladder is going to help you get clear, and it's going to help you be able to respond to people based on what you value, as opposed to responding out of reactivity or because you're just trying to avoid the conflict. It's going to help you live with integrity before the Lord. Now, on your way in today, you should have received a program. So I want to invite, if you're watching online, uh, we're going to drop the PDF link in the chat. If you're here in one of our locations, I want to invite you to take out the card that we put inside of your program. If you didn't get one, just wave your hand, uh, wave, wave your card, and our ushers are going to come forward, and they're going to give you one. What you have in your hands is a model of the ladder of integrity and all of the steps 
that it requires. So I want you to note there is a progression in the ladder, all right? Steps one and four are all about your thoughts and your feelings, what, what's going on inside of you. Steps five and eight is about everything that you value. And then steps nine through 10 are about your hopes. Now, if you guys remember on week one, we did that temperature reading uh, with Pastor Mike and his wife. It's very similar in that each step has a journaling prompt that's gonna help you get started. So you start at the bottom of the ladder, you start here at the bottom, and you work your way up the ladder. And if one of the prompts doesn't help you explore the issue, you can skip it, okay? Remember, I want you to be sure that you're gonna stick to just one issue as you work your way up the ladder. The ladder is a tool that's gonna invite God into your life and just help you process what you feel. All right, you guys ready? All right, well, I'm gonna model how climbing the ladder works by focusing on the sexual harassment incident that I shared with you guys earlier today. Now, obviously, I don't need a ladder of integrity to tell me that sexual harassment is not only wrong, it is a sin, and that I had every right to feel upset about it because my physical boundaries were violated. Also, in my situation, I don't need a ladder to tell me I was right to be upset but I could have used the ladder to help me understand why was I struggling so much to discern whether to tell or not to tell, whether to go to my managing partner and report the incident or just stay quiet. And it definitely would have helped me understand why I felt so unsure about what to do. So while I model this for you, I'm gonna invite you to follow along with the card, all right? I'm gonna climb up this ladder. I'm gonna take off my shoes because you guys know there will be no harming of high heels in the making of this example. Uh, by the way, you guys write these prompts prayerfully as if you were talking to the person that you're intentioned with, even if you're just processing for yourself, right? So in my case, when I did the ladder of integrity, I imagined I was having a conversation with the managing partner of my law firm, all right? So here's what the ladder would have looked like if I'd had this tool back then. So step one is that right now, the issue on my mind is that I am upset about last night's incident at dinner, where one of our clients was drunk, touched me in a completely inappropriate way, and I wish that my reaction would have been to do or say something immediately. When I went to my husband and told him what happened, he wanted to go after him right then and there, but I asked him, can you give me until the next day? And he said, I'm gonna give you 24 hours and then I'm gonna go and confront him. And I feel anxious talking about this because I don't wanna be seen as difficult. I don't want other partners to know that this happened to me. I don't want other people to make this experience change the way they see me or even the cases that I get assigned to work on because they're gonna think that I'm not easy to work with or that I can't work with certain clients. Now, let's just pause here for a minute because I want you to remember this first step is about what's going on inside of you. And it took me a while to, for all of that to come out because what you need to do first is just pray and ask the Spirit to search your heart and know your steps. Now, step two is about what is your part in this conflict? And my part in this is that I don't have any responsibility for what happened, but I do wish I could have reacted differently in the moment instead of feeling caught off guard and going home embarrassed, I wish I would have said something. Now, I want you to understand, 
that having zero share of the blame is not typical, all right? Let's be honest, guys. There aren't that many situations where you won't have some part of the blame. Remember, relationships are too full, and the truth will always lie somewhere in the middle. And in my case, it was more clear-cut, but it won't always be that way, very unlikely. So don't deny responsibility. Don't let your flesh trick you into thinking, I'm innocent in everything that happened, so I'm justified to cut people off or avoid them. Instead, I want to challenge you to let the Spirit convict you of the parts of this problem that are yours to own. All right, step three is about my needs in this issue. And truthfully, my need is that I want to forget this ever happened, while also I want to experience justice. I am a lawyer. I advocate for people. Yet somehow, I am afraid to advocate for myself in this instance. And you know what? The more that I prayerfully processed, the more that God showed me that what I was wrestling with was my need to advocate for myself and my need to avoid the issue because of my feelings of discomfort. And step four is about my feelings, about everything that's happened. And I wrote that I felt anger, regret, shame, but I was also indignant. And God showed me he is an emotional God. His spirit is going to help me locate what are my feelings about this, but also open my heart up to him and allow him to meet me there and, and start healing some of my hurt. So I just want to pause here because I want to ask, do you see how these first four questions are going to help you unpack what's going on inside of you. And the key is that you want to invite the Spirit to help you in this process, all right? We're not just journaling our emotions. We're asking Jesus' Spirit to search us, to know our thoughts, to reveal what's in our hearts. I knew I was angry. I didn't need a ladder for that. But anger is a surface emotion. And what the Spirit's help did was it allowed me to go deeper in truly identifying what it was that I was feeling. Make sense? All right. Well, we're going to move on to the next set of questions, which is about values. Now, step five is all about how this issue is important. And quite frankly, it's very important to me because I value courage. And I violate that value when I stay silent about hard things. I shouldn't have to choose between silence and saying what is right. It's not my job to make other people more comfortable or even to be liked by everyone. Guys, this is the step where God really started showing me some of the ways in which he's wired me. He reminded me, my family and my faith, they're the most important things in my life, but my commitment to them is fueled by my value of courage. And I felt the Spirit convict me that staying silent was going to oppose my value of courage. Step six is all about what you're willing and not willing to do. And I am not willing to live outside of my integrity by staying silent about hard things. And I'm not willing to be driven by fear. One thing that I could do to improve the situation is I could practice self-compassion and just live in God's grace for me because I can be so hard on myself. But this was not my fault and remembering that is going to help me live with the courage and the integrity that I want for myself and that God is calling me to. And then step number eight is about the most important thing that I want you to know, which is that as the managing partner, remember you're writing this as if you were having the conversation. So as the managing partner, what I wanted him to know was that I value my reputation, not just as a hard worker, but a good lawyer. 
and more importantly, as a person of character. And it's because of that that I need to be willing to speak up and say what happened. Guys, God is going to do his best work in you in these steps. Because when you process what you value, it helps you understand how can you start restoring what is actually broken? And even how do you discern what the next step is? If my values weren't courage and integrity, but I would have chosen my own comfort or my career or justice, I would have reacted differently. Now, that doesn't make my values right or wrong. It just helps me be more me, more the person who God created instead of someone who's living up to false expectations or false pretenses. And more importantly, it helps you ask the Lord what your next steps should be, which brings us to the last two steps of the ladder. Step nine is that I think my honest sharing will benefit your, our relationship by making you aware that I'm always going to strive to do what's right. This is me talking as if I were talking to my managing partner. I'm always going to strive to do what's right, right for me, right for the firm, and not just what's comfortable. But I also want to let you know that you have a potential legal minefield if you continue to represent this client. And then the last step, which is step number 10, is that I hope and I look forward to resolving this situation in a way that feels honoring to me and protects the firm. Guys, by the time that you are done with the latter, you're going to have a God's eye view on your situation. Because the natural progression of the ladder is to move you upwards and closer to God. And the closer to God that you get, the easier it will be to get God's perspective on what you're feeling and thinking. Remember, it's called the ladder of integrity because it's about your whole heart. You get God's perspective, you process with the Holy Spirit, and then and only then do you decide whether you're going to speak up or whether you're going to stay quiet. In fact, the Bible tells us in Isaiah that whether you turn to the right or to the left, you're your ears are going to hear a voice that's going to say, this is the way, walk in it. Wouldn't you like to hear that all of the time? And if you do, then you need to climb the ladder. You know, I've used it many times for work, for family. Sometimes I've gotten all the way up to the ladder only to hear God say, that's enough. I want you to leave this with me now because I can hold your hurt and I can heal your heart. And there have been other times that I felt God say, you need to have a fierce conversation. I need you to speak up and speak out. Sometimes I felt afraid. I feel my flesh wanting to go back to avoidance. But God actually reminds me, you don't have to be afraid because I'm going to climb down the ladder with you and I'm going to help you do it. And while I didn't have the ladder back then, I am happy to tell you that because of what Jesus Christ calls me to do, at 27 years old, I walked into my managing partner's office. I embraced my deep discomfort at the time, and I told him exactly what had happened to me. I asserted myself and my needs very respectfully. And you know what he did? He apologized to me. And then they made sure I'd never have to work with that client again. Eventually, they stopped representing him. Remember, true peace never comes by, by pretending that what is wrong is right. That's just false peace. And in Jesus Christ, we are called to so much more. So I want to end our time together by going back to how we started. Because at the beginning of our time together, I asked you, who do you currently have conflict with? And I also asked you to bring to mind a single face, someone with whom you're currently experiencing some kind of conflict with. Can I challenge you today to climb the ladder of integrity? To start with something small. Someone may be late that bothers you. 
Maybe they're constantly on their cell phone. That's annoying. Maybe they're messy, a roommate, a spouse, a kid. Maybe they're lying to you. Maybe someone's not doing your job or their job at work, whatever it may be. I want you to start with something small, but I want you to remember that God is calling us to live out true peace, not by pretending what's wrong is right, but by disrupting that false peace and bringing it to the light. So take this card with you. I want you to slow down. After you leave our services today, go to a quiet place, bring a journal with you, take some time to prayerfully process what's going on inside of you. Remember, this is where you actually acknowledge what's happening. What are your thoughts and feelings? And then I want you to ask God to help you identify what do you value? What's important to you? And finally, write out what you hope for. After you get his perspective, I want you to finish by asking God whether you need to speak up or whether you just have to remain quiet. In my story, there was no other choice for me than to speak up. But for you, it may be enough to just be aware of why do you feel that way. You're going to know what the next step is because the Holy Spirit will guide you. And no matter how God leads you, I promise the ladder of integrity is going to help you fight cleanly as you work to enjoy emotionally intelligent relationships in your family, in your work, in your community, in your church, and everywhere you go where you represent Jesus. It's what he modeled to us, and it's what he's asking you to do. Amen? Well, let me pray for us, church. Father, I thank you that in Jesus Christ, we have the perfect example of what it means to be in a, a true differentiated being, one who knows where their value and identity come from, Lord. And so I just pray that you would give us power, that you would give us, uh, remind us that you haven't given us a power of a spirit of fear, Lord, that we would be able to stand up to our own convictions, to who we are and who we know we are in you and allow ourselves to not be triggered in our responses and in our behaviors by what other people think or their expectations of us. Father, I just pray for anyone who's experiencing conflict in this place right now under the sound of my voice. Would you help them, Lord, as they process with you and your spirit, help them identify what it is that they're feeling, Lord, so that you can speak into it with your own wisdom and heal their hurts, Lord. And so we just thank you for tools like this that brings us closer to you. We love you, Lord, and we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.